0: the adonis audio experience welcome everyone to the adonis audio experience i'm joined here by jose manuel what's going on brother how you doing
1: good morning good morning you know i'm doing all right doing all right you know ready for a nice long weekend let's finish the last dance
0: yeah man you know i got a nice tan going on right now the past couple days i've just been out getting sun and today's a little rainy and 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 drizzly and you could tell it's gonna be overcast all day but i'm loving this tan i feel like i just went to the beach even though i've been quarantined for god knows how many days now
1: yeah, I've been doing my walks in the park every day. That's like my therapy. I'm with you, and you know, I got to get a little bit of sun, get yeah. the vitamins.
0: Yeah, you got to get your R&R, man. People out there, you got to find your inner peace while you're locked up in this quarantine state. But I digress. Anyhow, we have the last dance. It's the fifth week in a row they've been running this now, right? And Yeah, two episodes a night we're finally getting to the the end of this marathon where episodes 9 and 10 where the the story of great battles that you are much more familiar with because i remember you being obsessed with the pacers and then being this diehard utah fan that's one thing i got to give you props for you've never been a front runner If you want to go for the underdog because you believe in them fundamentally or whatever it is, their colors uh, of the jerseys, the team logos, whatever you stuck by that, even though they were playing the goat.
1: Yeah, you know, those are some tough times, you know, because Reggie Miller is still my favorite basketball player ever, you know, and that's why, you know, I, you know, I love to shoot from ridiculous lengths like he did, you know, when he was just, you know, he wasn't that great a player, you know, he was a, you know, Perennial all-star like that, you know, but at the end of the game, maybe right after Jordan He is the next guy you want taking that shot because he just had He just had the will of an assassin, you know And you saw that, you know all the times when he played the Knicks and you yeah. know the jazz, you know, that's just the team I just Fell in love watching, you know when those in those 90s in, in at the end of the 90s and I stayed with them I stay with them now, you know, it's Donovan Mitchell it's Rudy go You know, maybe they can build something there in the future
0: yeah no that's for sure and it's so funny the show opens up where Reggie Miller's like yeah I was having this game uh, against Jordan and I was like having a really good game and MJ wasn't doing too well early on and he was like uh, he talks a little trash to Jordan and then Jordan of course goes off Reggie was like, from that day forward, uh, in that game, Jordan looks at me, and he's like, don't never talk trash to black Jesus.
1: (laughs) It was so great. That was so great. And Reggie's like, I never referred to him as Michael Jordan again. It was either the black cat or black Jesus. So, you know, don't do it. You know, just don't poke the bear. Let him be.
0: Oh, my God. That was hilarious. And obviously, to what you alluded to, man, you know, Reggie hits that that three-pointer to just put him uh, in the conversation for one of the great clutch players of all time. And it pains me to have this conversation because full disclosure, I hate Reggie Miller. I hate him. I hate Reggie. I really do. And you know I do. But I give him some of his props, you know, in in the fact that he did hit that clutch shot. Um, what was that? Game four in 98 yeah yeah and you know that that's where his his claim to fame and obviously he had those legendary battles with the Knicks and, and so on and so forth and one of the parts of the last dance you get into is that I don't know if you caught on to this Jose but there's parts of it that get a little repetitive where you know it's jordan facing these these foes of his uh, like a superhero movie right and yeah you know th- this uh, this foe uh, of Magic Johnson, and then he rises uh, and triumphs like the superhero that he is. And then the the foes of the Detroit Pistons and Isaiah Thomas and Jordan rises as the superhero that he is. And then you know all everyone questioning his career, the the the, the trials and battles with the Blazers and 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 um and Clyde Drexler and jordan rises again like the hero that he is and then it's like oh yeah reggie came and talked trash to me so i had to show him and then jordan rises like the hero that he is and then lastly the last enemy that comes to the final round of facing bowser or you know if you're a big mario fan is you know brian russell The story goes back to Michael Jordan being retired, playing baseball. Brian Russell sees Michael Jordan while he's playing baseball and says, you know what, man? If I ever see you in some shorts, I'm going to kick your butt, man. If I ever see you in some shorts, I'm going to kick your butt. I don't know why you retired. You know I could guard you. And Jordan was like, you know what? Ever since that day, he was just part of my list. He was part of my list and I had to get him. And it's like Jordan, there's a part of it that has to be luck. Because how ironic is it that Jordan gets the final shot of his final days in a Bulls uniform with less than five seconds left. He has that classic top of the key crossover dribble with the jump shot, arm stretched out, fingers out. And then nothing but net. And then Jordan just sails into the sunset.
1: Of course, it had to be it had to be Russell there. I mean, he was the best defender on that team. I don't, you know, it's crazy that you know he's gonna remember something that Byron Russell says. Brian Russell, <laughs> forgive me. You know, four years ago. I mean, who? I mean, who, who's Brian Russell. You know. This thing made him famous, you know. And funny enough, I heard that he was one of two guys that refused to be interviewed for the documentary, you know. Which was him, and the other guy was Carl Malone. So I guess you know the, the wound's a little too fresh for the both of them. Yeah. Well, you know. Well, you know. I guess that's what made him, you know, what he is. You know, he's going to remember this kid talking shit to him. Yeah. You know. I guess it had to be the '94 year, at the, you know, when he's out. And I was like, listen, man, whatever. Everybody thinks they can, you know. Everybody thinks they can. They can stop the goat, but they can't.
0: Yeah. And it was just so funny. It's like watching an old karate movie. Like Bruce Lee has, like, one enemy after another and he's just chopping kicking and then the levels go up he brings out the nunchucks then the level keeps going up that then he's fighting people through glass through mirrors through this through that it's like jordan is this hero that just keeps on fighting every enemy after the next after the next after the next and it's that's cool i get it but the other part is that I did feel like it got repetitive. Um, you know, I didn't know if you were aware of this or not, but The Last Dance was supposed to be released at, at the end of June, right? So, because yeah. they released it earlier, it's, it, it looks like the, the creators of The Last Dance, I think it's this guy Jason Hare, um, they had to literally start finishing the final episodes while it was air, airing. So I thought that that was pretty impressive. But I also think that that kind of led to why the narrative became a little repetitive. I don't know if you caught on to that.
1: No, it didn't. I mean, you know, I mean, it's, it's Jordan telling your story about himself. You know, I mean, you know, very few documentaries, you know, are you going to really want to watch where it's like, you know, the subject is the boss. You know, you want some somebody that's impartial that's going to tell you, you know, the story. You know, it was supposed to be released in June, like, you know, after the finals, which is kinda of like that slow period with just baseball's going on. But yeah. you know, I mean they you know, they they play you know, they played up a few a few instances, you know, with him where I thought they kind of, you know, like they made it sound like, you know, Jordan walked the school uphill in both directions, you know, and everybody else was around doing nothing, you know. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, Scottie Pippin's not too happy with his portrayal in this. You oh know? my but, you god. Know, but to make Jordan look so good, you know, somebody else has to eat a little bit. Even though I thought they were pretty fair to Pippen. They talked about facts. You know, we kind of went through that already. But, you know, they definitely did repeat themselves a little a little much.
0: Now, but, you know, I just... with, with the Pippen thing, what is it that, that you know, I mean, I'll tell you what. I think you're right. It highlights all the bad moments for Scotty. It highlights the moment he quit on his team, which... You know that uh, I've talked about that. That you you can't you can't go back from that. It also talks about him missing the free throws in that playoff game against Indiana. Yeah. It also gets into the fact that he his back went out and he couldn't perform in literally the the final game of of all their uh, time with the Bulls. In that game six against the Utah Jazz, Scotty really was a shadow of himself to the point that in that six championship, you see Jordan by the piano celebrating, drinking his champagne. He's got all his people with him, his crew, right? Uh, taking pictures, making sure the lighting's perfect and all that stuff. And Jordan is like, you know, Scotty lost uh, his back went out and, and man, that scared the crap out of me. And then I had to do all the work. I had to, you know, bring the ball up, you know, set the set the offense and do everything and score the points. And then, you know, it, it was kind of like putting it all on all the good that he did. And then Scotty, again, kind of gets left by the wayside, even though this guy is is a world talent.
1: No, definitely. And I kind of felt that the 98 finals. I mean, at the end, it looked like a good thing. Oh, he battled out. He played through it. You play a back injury is probably the most debilitating thing you can really try to play through because it affects any little movement. You know, you know, you got there with a bum knee or something, it hurts, but you know, you can at least probably still shoot a little bit and things like that. But you know, I mean, also the migraine game in Detroit in '90. You know, they they have to highlight that. What you know, when they still weren't champs. Yeah. I thought, I mean, they—it was facts. It was factual. I don't really think there was a lot they could have done to help Scott, you know, that you know make him feel better.
0: Yeah, you and know? just getting into it, I mean, this week the passing of Jerry Sloan, I did want to, you know, uh, just uh, give a, you know, my condolences. Obviously, uh, Jerry Sloan was a great coach, man. He he squeezed out a lot of victories from a nucleus that. You wouldn't necessarily expect But the Jerry
1: Sloan Jerry Sloan was a good player in his own right his numbers retired by the Bulls He's drafted by the bullets in 65 went to the University of Evansville. He's the fourth pick in the draft He plays one season for the bullets and then he goes to the Bulls and um, you know the Bulls were like this scrappy team. They were never that good in like the '70s, late '60s, uh, early '70s. But he was like this ferocious point guard. He was uh, this ferocious shooting guard that just played incredible defense. Mm-hmm. You know, and his career was cut short, I guess, because of injury because he retired right after ten years. And then he's coaching the Bulls, and he misses coaching the Bulls. He misses coaching, coaching Jordan rather than that. Just by a year, year and a half, they let him go at that point because the Bulls were such a you know dysfunction at that point and then he goes to utah and he really never leaves he's an assistant for like five years and then he's a head coach for 23 years that's really unheard of the only guy close to that is is popovich
0: wow wow that what a career man that that is that is quite remarkable man and you know i did want to uh i i did want to transition to some fun facts that i saw during the the episodes that were coming out and you know like in between scenes they have these pop-ups that come and i don't know if you noticed some of them but how many 60 win teams do you think the bulls beat in the playoffs
1: yeah i think it said seven right
0: yeah seven yeah. i i i mean i was blown away by that number because 61 teams are are usually part of some attached to some history um, you know the that doesn't just happen where a 60 win team doesn't go on to win some kind of championship Um, so it just you know Jordan's dominance again right the other part is that how many Hall of Famers do you think Michael Jordan beat
1: I believe it was around
0: 20 yeah it was 20, 20. it was 20 yeah that that was no,
1: that's so that's so you know remarkable. I mean you know because I mean listen, I mean Stockton, Malone, Miller, Ewing, you know we could just name them. You know Drexler. Yeah. You
0: know,
1: um. He basically he basically got everybody but Olajuwon that played in that era, you know. Yeah. You know everybody everybody else ate. Everybody else got a piece. You know Gary Payton. I don't know if they put Sean Kemp in the Hall of Fame or not. But um, you yeah. know it's it's he was you know it was that it was that incredible that run was that special.
0: It was, and then you know, one of the cool things that I did like is that, you know, Jordan, it shows how centered he is. And that's one of the, the parts that I think it's pretty remarkable because we often think that guys in the NBA, that they really got their, their shit together. Like they, they're all cool and, and, and collected, but it actually just seeing some of these profiles and, and, and just, Jordan's will to win and how he pushed people forward and uh, listening to Scott Burrell's story and things like that it really shed some light that listen it's not that easy to be as centered or as zen-like as, um, as it appears on TV like there's a lot of anxiety there's a lot of mental health there's a lot of things that go into play and with Michael Jordan it always seemed like he just was present You know, he was uh, unfazed by the challenges ahead and you just see him going up to that jazz game, for example, and he's in the bus and he's listening to that uh, Kenny Lattimore uh, album. And, you know, he's just so cool with his shades on and his head's bopping and not a worry in the world. And, you know, yeah, there's that saying where you act like a duck, where at the top you're cool and collected. And underneath in the water, you're paddling like hell. And Jordan definitely had that act like a duck because you know his intensity was like at a level 15. But he just seemed to be so centered and so about it that he was just unfazed by the uh, pressure.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I would add to that, as the leader of the team, you know, everybody's looking for you for guidance. You know, you know, if you're nervous as hell you know, three, three hours before a game, you know, you can't eat or anything, you know, everybody's going to follow that lead. So for him to, you know, for him to be calm and cool. And he's like, you know, you know, we're going to play our hearts out. We're going to see where the chips, you know, where the chips land, you know, but he's making jokes. He's talking about, you know, how many beers he had the night before. when at shoot around there, you know, that relaxes the whole team. It really does. You know, it's, you know, even if he's just sitting there talking nonsense, you know, and he's getting himself ready, but you know, some, the other guys, they need that calming force.
0: Yeah. yeah. No,
1: Maybe except for Rodman who does his own thing.
0: Dude, <sighs> Rodman, man. What Rodman, mm-hmm. the, the, the story, the legend of Rodman is relive, retold again. This dude, man, what's up with him, man?
1: <laughs> you know, I did not know that he went to like some <laughs> WWF thing after game three <laughs> in in 98. I'm just, you know, I mean, that's really pushing the limits of like somebody's, of somebody's patience. I'm like, you can't wait a week. I mean, we're in the finals. A week from now, do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. You can fight Carmelo in a steel cage, you know. But, you know, I just, you know, the fact that he, he had to go that night, you know, because, you know, it's, you know, he hasn't, I mean, I don't think he should, he could go, he's free to go anywhere he wants now. I never see him. Not that I really, I'm an avid watcher of that of the, uh, that material but
0: yeah no it it's insane Rodman is like I'm gonna go do what I gotta do and he's like you know what I think Phil just realized I'm just gonna do me <laughs> yeah because Phil couldn't get upset A Phil knows what it's like to have that attitude to have that like I don't belong I'm an outsider perspective when his time with the Knicks, right? And and Phil was kind of like that guy, somewhat aloof. You know, he wasn't as connected to, to all things, but he was introverted. He was smart. He knew the game. And Phil Jackson looks at Dennis Rodman like a son. And he's like, Dennis Rodman is introverted, He's aloof, although he seems like this larger-than-life personality. There, there's parts of him that has to escape to maintain his sanity. I think Phil knew that was one of the gifts about Phil. He knew how far to push everybody, and he absolutely understood where he could push and pull with Dennis Rodman, and the results were on the court because that, that night, he goes to Vegas he's wrestling with hulk hogan and the nwo and having a blast drinking champagne smoking cigars showing off talking how how big how large life is for him and then all of a sudden he's in a bulls uniform and getting ready to dominate the boards and that he did he dominated those boards and that's a big credit. He frustrated Carl Malone. Karl Malone could not get into his, his typical rhythm. Although he didn't have a poor performance, he didn't have dominating uh, moments at, at the clutch times. And, and you, could, you could give a lot of credit to Karl Malone for just creating that uh, frustration and intensity for him. So, you know, Rodman is the mythical creature, as you called him. And he lives on, man. The the story of Dennis Rodman. It was amazing.
1: No, it really was. You know, and credit to Phil Jackson, because that's a gift. Phil Jackson just has a gift of knowing what what everybody needs, you know, knowing who who to push, who to leave alone, you know. You know, because, I mean, he's got the most rings of all time. I don't think that necessarily makes him the greatest coach of all time, because he just had incredible teams, and he always, you know, Everything always got there right. He got there right in the he got the right at the beginning of Jordan's prime, you know. So same who thing you for put? Kobe, you know.
0: So who you put the greatest coach of all time?
1: I mean, I, you know, the greatest coach that I've seen for me for me it's popovich i really you know i love what he built down there and they you know they they see an untapped market that other people just didn't you know didn't see with the with the european players Now, obviously i mean he had he had a top 10 player of all time on that team but you know i mean that you know to win titles 15 years apart you know i mean that last title you know duncan you know is it's just there, but you know that that's Kawhi. That's Tony. That's Manu. Yeah. You know, for me, I mean, he's, you know, the, the culture he built there, they won 50 games every year. You know, he, he's my favorite co- you know, my, my best coach of all time that I've seen, you know, I mean, you know, respect to, you know, red Auerbeck, you know, from the Celtics, you know, in the bill Russell days, which yeah. is probably the guy who is the best coach of all time, but I just didn't see, I just didn't, you know, wasn't around at that time.
0: Yeah, no, that's a fair point. Um, Popovich I definitely give a lot of credit because he squeezed out the most out of what he had Um, and and again these guys were talented I mean Tony Parker is no slouch Tony Parker can has proven that he could score on anybody in the NBA as a 6-1 guard Um, there's no challenge uh, too big for him and Manu Ginobili has proven that his kind of you know, style of play, um, as that lefty with, with that, that wide arching kind of like shot. He made it work. And and they all play defense. And that's one thing you gotta give credit to is that they all play D. And that is a big deal that you don't see in the league today. And as far as best coaches, um I I think I still got to give it to Phil for for the simple fact that, look, you, you could have it all, and there's no guarantee that you're going to win it. Um, the Orlando Magic had Shaq, Penny. Yeah, they were younger, but you still had Nick Anderson, who Nick Anderson was probably as good as Eddie Jones and the Lakers, and Penny though Young, was as good as, as any point guard that was coming up. And what I mean by that is that he was as good as um, maybe not Magic immediately overnight, but the impact he had and the clutch moments he had, you saw that before, especially before his injuries. And then you got a Shaq that, if anything, I saw a Shaq in that Orlando Magic team that was a little bit more athletic than the Lakers, Even though in the Lakers, he just figured out his niche and just bullied it, you know, and that was in the block versus to what Orlando, he could kind of do it all. You know, he was going coast to coast, this and that. And to have Phil Jackson be able to hone in on what you're great at and just have you do that and master it and then win so many times, I mean, five titles and six titles it's like you know it's hard to win one right so to keep doing it over and over I I give it to Phil but I respect your point about pop and what he had and the talent he had and then also winning those championships so far apart it just shows that the coaching is was the differentiator so I respect that yeah no fair enough you know I mean you gotta give credit to Phil too no so in closing man um I just figured that, uh, you know, the last dance certainly painted a very vivid and clear picture of Michael Jordan's career. I think that the storyline of the 98 season and telling it in sequence with the historical kind of parts of the Bulls history from uh, Jordan's, uh, well, pre-Jordan, and then Jordan gets drafted, and the growth and pro- uh, progression of that told in line with the 98th season was amazing. I felt that it connected so many dots. It answered and addressed so many questions. And I got to give him a lot of respect for putting that together and providing the inter- much needed entertainment that that we needed during this quarantine the part where i'm still a little troubled by is that like a really good juicy documentary it didn't really get deep enough right yeah again but i mean it's to it's to michael
1: you know being the decision maker on everything you know he's only going to let you go so far and, you know, so, I mean, there's going to be things that are off limits. I mean, you know, I mean, like, you know, I mean, his family was obviously off limits. I mean, like, his sons would show up there for two minutes and that's really it. So, you know, Donna me and you spoke, you know, about them kind of breaking up the team a little too early. And we thought that, you know, maybe that team had a championship or two left in it. But seeing, you know, seeing the finals, seeing that, you know, his interpretation at the end of the 98 finals where he says the word exhausted like 17 times just talking about the fourth quarter of game six that I actually started to think it was the right time for them to break the team apart because they weren't going to be able to bring everybody back anyway in 99 and everybody was going to be a year older, you know, it would have benefited them that it was a shorter season, but they were going to play it in a condensed time because of the lockout. But I do think that they don't, I think that they were done. They were done winning. It was the right time. I think Phil saw that. And that's why in the documentary, When at the last second, even though they say for six months, you're not coming back, they supposedly gave him a chance to come back. He said, no, you know, it's over. And, you know, I think he was right. I I do not think, you know, I don't think they're winning in 99.
0: Wow. That is a fair point. I, that team looked like a house that was falling apart in 98. And. I don't think people saw that as much because they were riding on the, on the greatness of Jordan, but the nucleus, the defensive tenacity of Ron Harper, Scotty Pippen, that was fading and it was fading at a fast rate. And let's face it, Steve Kerr wasn't playing defense. Tony Kukoc wasn't playing defense. And Dennis Rodman, you know, maybe he'd give you one more year if he cares. And that was really it. And then MJ, which is the biggest factor, is simply exhausted. He's shot. So would they have beaten that Spurs team in 99? Assuming that that same Bulls team would have beat the Knicks with... That shortened lockout season, the 8th seed Knicks and Marcus Canby, Allen Houston in the group. Would Jordan have beaten those guys? Let's assume he does. And then he has to face that Spurs team with Tim Duncan, David Robinson, and Popovich, obviously. The brains behind it. I think your point is valid. I don't know if they you get, get through that team.
1: They never have to deal with that kind of size, you know. I think, you know, and then that takes away from the mystique because, you know, then you've never seen them lose. And, you know, the mystery of what would have been is like what elevates this a little bit, you know, because you usually never, you know, you never, you know, rip the rug away from a championship team before they start to lose, you know. At some point, they, be- they become golden state where they're broken down in the finals and then the next year they're the worst team in the league. Yeah. You know, they just, they just, they all vanished, you know. And, you know, I think that kind of, that really adds to it.
0: Yeah, I agree. That's a fair point, man. That's a fair point.
1: I wanted to ask you one last question.
0: What did you think
1: of the food poisoning game, pizza game? What did you think of that whole situation?
0: Dude, the pizza thing was like out of this world that he's the only hungry dude. Well, you notice how they don't tell you what time they got that pizza. They just they don't t- tell
1: you one time. They don't tell you a lot of things.
0: Yeah. So you don't have the timestamp and then it's like, Oh, it's, it's, and also when you're ordering pizza, how they know you ordered it from Michael Jordan. You got all these handlers with you. You're telling me that nobody can call from a different room. I get it. Not everybody had a cell phone at that time, But nobody could call from a different room under a different alias to order this stuff. You know, it's got to be so obvious that it's going to Michael Jordan and you're on the road. Dude, you're on the road and you think you're going to get the best pizza possible? I mean, honestly, I, I would pack my own stuff. There's been stories where teams bring their own water to the opposing player's stadium because they don't trust them. So michael jordan eating a 2 a.m pizza in salt lake city surrounded by mormons i don't know man
1: there is a massive cover-up here i do not know what they're hiding i have a theory what um you know because if if you put me personally if you put me in salt lake city utah you tell me i got nothing to do for a day you're gonna give me an off day and i have infinite resources as is Michael Jordan has I'm going to hop on a plane and I'm going to go to Las Vegas that's what I'm going to do Ooh. you know and I'm pretty sure that's probably what he did that's got to be like a 50 minute flight that's got to be a nothing flight you know and they went and they enjoyed themselves I don't know he could have ever easily gotten food poisoning at some at some Vegas restaurant or something Ooh. but this pizza thing doesn't make any sense you know these guys have been his security guys have been protecting the most famous guy in the world outside of like The president of the United States, you know, and, you know, and maybe like the Beatles or something. And you're going to tell me that they're going to allow five guys to show up with the pizza. None of that just doesn't make, doesn't hold any water. I don't, you know, I don't know what they're, you know, but but they were really trying to get you to believe that thing. And who eats an entire pizza? I mean, I like to eat. I mean, he did did not (laughs) jailhouse an entire pizza before a humongous game. You're going to eat two slices and go
0: to bed, you know? Oh my God. You know, I didn't think about it to that extent, but the only part I will say is that the guys handling them though, they're they're pretty reputable guys, but I will say, so like Tim Grover, for example, like I can't picture Tim Grover being part of a scheme to cover up just given how strict he is with his regimen and his workouts and how he trains his athletes, right? But... Honestly, if you if you read a piece of his book towards the end, he talks about, you know, like he has his own mindset of being relentless is also being like a bad guy. Right. And he actually goes even deeper about playing the whole bad guy look just to just to be able to keep that edge. And he talks about the strip clubs, the hookers, the, you know, things that are off color and off topic in many circles, including ours. You know, we we don't, you know, necessarily uh, subscribe to that kind of stuff. But Tim Grover talks about being that type of personality, being that relentless. Sometimes you got to be that bad guy at that level. And I'm curious now you got me thinking if to what some of the stuff you're saying, there's some correlation to his book and his observations of what a relentless cleaner guy is like Michael Jordan. And, you know, maybe the night before that game, he is being that bad guy, the guy who could do whatever the heck he wants and get away with it because he's relentless and he's, he's untouchable. He's Teflon. And then all of a sudden he gets this quote unquote food poisoning.
1: You know, I think because he thought, you know, he saw the abuse he took when he did it with the Knicks and AC but he's like, oh, listen, we're gonna lie about this one. But I just, you know, that yeah. that story, and they and the only people that tell you that story is Jordan, it's his best friend, and it's the it's the trainer. Like, you know, they're not, you know, they're not talking to Phil Jackson about 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 the you know about Pizza Gate. Yeah, I just didn't, you know, I don't, you know, I, for me, I don't believe it. I don't. I mean, you're gonna order a pizza under under. You're gonna say, oh, no, this pizzas for Michael Jordan. Yeah. No way, no way. You Yeah. Know.
0: Yeah. Wow. that That's a fair point, man. No, but those are some good points, man. Um, Anything else you want to throw at us?
1: You know, that's really it. You know, I would just say, I mean, as a Utah fan, I will say, I watched the end of that, and I felt I felt worse about that loss. Because I thought, that, I mean, I was like, I told myself, you know, they lost to the best. But man, I think it's almost like Utah let them off the hook. Because if they ever get them to a game seven, they're going to be on fumes, you know, and, and, and they're going to, they're going to win a championship. They, they had nothing left, but you know, that's, that's what we, you know, we'll never know. Um. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then the final part was this whole Jordan fraternizing with, with Reggie Miller before the game where he kisses him on the cheek and, and then we're criticizing LeBron James for being too friendly with opposing players. And, you know, it's like the black cat, always gets a pass and that's mj
1: double standard it definitely is a big double standard you know i mean back to the first episode when he's playing golf with danny Ainge on an off day in the middle of a playoff series yeah you know and you know because i mean god if lebron was ever seen playing you know golf with Giannis, you know you know in the middle of in the middle of the finals it would (laughs) you know it would blow up twitter you know and you know you're right I mean it's that that part's not fair we we get told a few things about the old days that how it was you know and that you know and that you know this generation doesn't do it now and even though I consider myself an old soul but I am in this generation you know it's really just not it's not true you know we were told tanking wasn't a thing but the Bulls are trying to tank that year yeah in the second in the uh in 86 yeah you know it, it, it's you know it's they pick and choose you know sometimes
0: yeah no I totally agree with that and I thank everybody for listening to Jose and I we're gonna transition and talk about some other things I mean what do you think is up next Jose I mean maybe a little bit of baseball I mean we're getting into it right
1: we could do some baseball you know we can always do some you know we could always do some some football you know and you know and whatever we you know, we can uh we'll take some and,
0: some and, and, chances, ma- and maybe we talk a little bit about gambling too I mean oh yeah
1: you know, always.
0: Well, everyone. Very interested in that. Everyone, thanks for tuning in. Till next time. Peace out.